Hey guys, welcome to Closing the Distance. I'm Joe Welker. With me in this episode is my partner, Molly Silverstein, but she is not with me to do this intro physically because we are social distancing, like I hope you are. We are Harvard Divinity School students who wanted to do something to keep our community together, but also wanted to do it in a way that can help keep our global community together because we know a lot of you are going through the same thing too in the midst of this coronavirus crisis. So uh, we wanted to create something that isn't only a podcast with the same hosts, but a platform that lets us explore different kinds of authentic connection in this time of separation through conversations, spiritual practices, music, and more. Um, So if you're an HDS student listening to this and you have your own kind of show idea you'd like to do or want to be on this conversation with us, please reach out to me or Molly. Uh, We are still ironing some things out, so please bear with us in these early episodes. Like if you watch this episode on our YouTube channel, uh, you'll see that I'm just a disembodied voice because (laughs) I had the Zoom settings wrong. Uh, But today's guest is awesome. He's Ben Freeman. He's a third-year student, artist, educator, chaplain, who is set to direct a play called Beloved King, which is written by Jade Sylvan. And it's a play that's a queer reading of the biblical story of young David, you know, the king, uh, until it got delayed in the midst of this whole crisis. Ben is also a resident tutor, which is like a resident advisor, to undergrads here at Harvard. So he's had a hell of a week and uh, quite a disruption. It was great to catch up with him to see how he's doing like right in the middle of this. So in this episode, we talk about how to deal with parents, reading old texts that seem backwards to us, and words that might feel uncomfortable in the midst of a pandemic like faith. And what do we do with that word? So anyway, I hope you enjoy today's episode. Please spread the word. I love you. Here's Ben and Molly. So where are you finding yourselves this morning? Well, um, I'm finding myself in Somerville in my bedroom. Um, are you, do you mean emotionally finding myself? <laughs> Whatever feels right to answer. I'm going to have the same physical answer for <laughs> many, many months now. Um, but um, I'm feeling actually okay this morning. It was a very volatile week, but I felt more productive this morning when I was like cleaning up a little bit, straightening, finding some equipment, um, kind of those those sorts of making little steps, feeling like I'm doing something. Things. What about you? Yeah. Um, I yesterday was an interesting day because I I the beginning of the day felt like I was using my time in a thoughtful way. And then as the day petered out, so too did the thoughtfulness. Um, and I kind of, I went to bed really late for no particular reason, mm-hmm. woke up late for no particular reason. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so when I got up this morning and started journaling, I was like, okay, I really need to, I need to use that first experiment of having it. Cause like the, the students just moved out on Sunday night. And so yesterday really was my first day of even beginning to experiment with what a new rhythm would look like. And I realized that I needed to use it as like a calibration moment and a, and a moment for experimentation rather than like judgment that I failed at using my time. Well, um, you know, cause I, I, I'm, I'm very tempted to go directly toward like, I fucked it up. And then I was like, well, (laughs) maybe I just tried one day and some parts of it worked well and some parts of it didn't work well. And I can learn from that if I have, if I have a learning orientation to it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's definitely a new normal that we're all in and trying to figure out how to be in it. Yeah. I have all, yeah, all of the practices in my life have fallen away. So this week is going to be about like trying to get them reestablished and stop being on the internet at midnight. Like, yeah, John, I have been like, like last night, we like, we're like, we're going to bed now. Good night. See you in an hour on Facebook. Right. <laughs> like, so Just hard. trying to keep it realistic. Yeah. <laughs> um, Absolutely. 
is there a part of you also wait do you want to are we do you feel good are we are we in it are we you want to start you want to like, like we're say it. like we're are we, okay cool um yeah we'll just we'll just keep going then um do you find it like have you is there a part of you that when you think about doing practices maybe maybe this is just me that like i'm like it almost feels like a i'm like oh this feels like so trivial now to like just be like doing my little like oh i'll just do my little exercise or i'll just do something i mean i know it's important i i'm not saying it's not important but then there's another part of me that's like uh, i don't know like it just it feels so like like a waste of time somehow or is there's a, and i'm not saying i want to honor that but yeah not your experience. <laughs> well, <laughs> the no, I'm blank looks on both of your faces. Oh, <laughs> no, my roommate I'm, was vacuuming, I'm, so that's that was my look. I was like, oh, I hope they can't hear us <laughs> vacuum. But no, no, vacuuming. So vacuuming. Well, it's not exactly vacuuming, but this I, I'm thinking about. So I I laid out like a list of my desires for. Oh wow! This time. Awesome. awesome. And interestingly, these are all on post-its. And interestingly like scrolling through Twitter and becoming anxious about coronavirus is not actually on the list of desires <laughs> for the week, surprisingly enough. Um, okay. And that, that was, that was interesting to see like in concrete form that I was like, wow, I have, I think the way that I'm interacting with this, I mean, also like this is spring break, right? So theoretically, this week itself is actually not necessarily so different or didn't, didn't, doesn't have to feel so different from what it might feel like once we actually get back into classes yeah. mm -hmm. and are all meeting in classes on the computer. But still there's a sense that like in semester time, my go-to feeling about why I'm not, you know, pursuing my creative goals ha usually has to do with time. It's usually, oh, no, if I had time, I'm sure I would, dot, dot, dot. And inevitably, whenever I have time, <laughs> I find that it's actually much more complex than I imagined to <laughs> continue following through on something that, that actually feels important to me. And so there's something I'm just learning this morning that there's actually like a substrate beneath that exclusive time that has to do with like thoughtful or like intention behind how to use time well. And I think like I was talking to a friend the other day that, I mean, I obviously part of what I, we should all probably acknowledge or I, I should acknowledge here is that like, I have a lot of, um, it's a, it's a great privilege to be able to be interacting with this yeah crisis as an experience of being able to use time differently. That is not how everyone is experiencing it. Not at all. But in my role and in my place that I'm in, in graduate school, that is actually the dominant um, variable here. Yeah. Um, so that's part of it too, is just trying to figure out, I, I think, so that's a way of responding to what you were saying in terms of it feeling, I don't remember if you used the word irrelevant or it's feeling kind mm -hmm. of trivial or something trivial uh i'm trying to both bring intention to my time and keep in perspective that that's a great gift to be yeah. able to be thinking intentionally definitely, definitely. Yeah, for sure <clears throat> and yeah i feel like yeah i really resonate with the paradox of like the more time you have the <laughs> the less well it's used and yeah especially there's just so much, um, so much to read, so much to like consume right now and staying away from that and like being intentional is, um, yeah, it's just, gonna, it's a whole new level of discipline, I think, that it's going to require mm -hmm. over the next weeks. So. Now you said your parents have been here with you the past week. Yeah. So how's that been going? It was, um, it was challenging. I mean, so they came, uh, they had plans to come in order to see the show um, that I was directing, which ultimately got postponed last week. And in the days leading up to them leaving, the situation was getting more and more uncertain, both on just the the national media scale, but also on the very local scale of like whether or not the show was going to happen. And 
in those days when I would call them my, my, I, I always, I stopped short of just saying, don't come. I think because I didn't want to be patronizing or I didn't want to like pull some kind of like rug out from under them. And so I just kept saying like, should you come? Like, I don't know. It's not, it seems like people are really, really starting to panic. And and I, I'm not a public health expert, but I keep reading all these things that tell me that this is a serious crisis that we really need to respond to with drastic measures. And so like, should you come? (laughs) And interestingly enough, like the, the other people in their idyllic retirement community in the central coast of California who are all demonstrably at a higher risk of having a serious case of this infection um, than I am just simply didn't seem to be that concerned about it. And so they were really of the mind in the days leading up. They were like, I don't know. It seems fine. Like it's not, they just weren't, they weren't keyed into what people in Massachusetts in my immediate circle were keyed into. So it was really bizarre to just have that, disjoint between our interpretations of the situation. And when I got the call from Jade, the writer of the show, um, Beloved King, that we had canceled or that we had postponed the performance and, and wouldn't be doing it for an audience, I texted the family group thread, assuming that my parents were already on the plane. And they called me and they're like, hey, we're like next in line um, to get on board. And wow. At that moment, I do wish I had found the the place in my guts that would have allowed me to just say, like, don't get on the plane, like, turn around, go out of the airport, get into your car and drive home, like, please don't come. But but they, my parents are very um, insistent about certain things. And I think they really <laughs> felt they're like, well, we've already gone through the airport. It's LAX. It's a huge airport. Like, they're like, whatever. If we got to yeah. close something here, it's already in the past. So let's just get on the plane and go. And so they came. <laughs> and then once they were here, it was just kind of this bizarre experience of trying to honor the fact that they had come across the country to see me and and the fact that I genuinely wanted to see them, but then also figuring out how to ideally do as much harm reduction as possible in the course of them being here. And, And my sister was here as well. And so all of us were just in this sort of weird feeling of life. I mean, it was just something a little bit like being suspended in jello because it was it was mm-hmm. such an awkward, the physicality of it was really awkward. I did give them a hug the first day before I really thought about it. And then I was like, shit, like, I can't hug you, actually. I'm mm. like, really not supposed to do that. I've been spending all of my time around yeah. undergrads, many of whom probably have already had this sickness in some form or another. Like, I really shouldn't do that. And then spent the rest of the next couple of days, like, really regretting that I had hugged my own parents, which was so <laughs> weird. Yeah. And... You know, my mom had a little bit of a cold probably by the time she was done being here. And like, realistically, from what I know about incubation period, like that probably actually had nothing to do with whatever she may have been exposed to in a couple of days that she was here. But it, it initiated this real sense of productiveness of like, I need to know every day if you think you have a cold or if you have a fever, like if you start like just you, I need to, and just to be in that protective mode toward my own parents is not, it's not the first time I've ever experienced something like it, but it's the most intense form that I've experienced so far. And I'm lucky to have both of my parents still. And it feels, if it, I'm knocking on wood, it feels, I hope that ultimately this little moment in my family will become contextualized as like a crazy blip um, in a, in a, in a crisis that ultimately did not result in any of our serious hospitalizations or deaths. Um, And there is a non-zero possibility that it could become more serious than that. And that is very frightening to me and to, to have participated in that by not, putting my foot down and saying, don't come is something I'm going to be working through for a while. I think, totally, you know, totally relate. I mean, I, my parents are in New York and I've been like 
struggling with the same thing about whether to go out there, just been like agonizing about it. Um, and I was just talking to my roommate this morning about how people in our age group are have like, are just having to make these really hard choices, right? I mean, I think there's lots of hard choices going on across <laughs> like every sort of um, factor um, or like every sort of situation, but like um, young, like millennials who have older parents are suddenly like, I'm like in this role reversal with my parents where similarly like Think now they're finally on board but it's been a long haul of like wishing that I could just like lock them in a room and like not let them out um and have yeah just really been feeling like suddenly I'm parenting them or yeah trying not to be patronizing but also it's it's bizarre and it's a big shift yeah well, and you've been wrestling too Molly with like whether it makes sense for you to go now like if it's been like oh I should I go ahead and get there before like are they going to shut everything down? Yeah. Like, you know, um, but then what's the, isn't the safe thing to not do that? seems like it. Um, yeah. And I, you know, my parents, I'm almost, <laughs> I have this like, because they're in North Carolina, I don't, I mean, I think they're definitely taking it seriously, but it feels like there's a little less like intensity than it is in the, in the in, like Boston, New York kind of, um probably even LA of like urban living where you're like just on top of each other um in terms of like the rest of like outside like when we went outside on Saturday um to meet with our friends to do a nice social distance walk uh <laughs> trying to give distance to each other it was just we were finding it was impossible to like not pass closely by a bunch of other people or like and then we went to like we tried to walk down by the river and there was all these people and were like and just like hard to even enjoy <laughs> that, those moments being outside because everybody's like a suspect in this yeah. like you know um it, it's a weird it's like a mix for me of like seeing everybody both suspiciously and sympathetically like simultaneously yeah. whenever i see people in a store um although i'm you know because i've tried to go to the stores and now i'm trying to not go to the stores um but yeah, yeah. um have, are you gonna say it then? I was I was just having a conversation with a friend last night that was remarking on how remarkable it is how quickly our perceptions of others can change. Um, this person was saying that you know she it's not it's not uncommon for her in in regular life to um, share a cup with someone or share a spoon of peanut butter or whatever. She just doesn't have that kind of relationship to germs generally. And yet in the past week when she's been interacting with the undergrads that she um, lives and works with, she's been struck by how, how dramatically her own perception of those kinds of moments has shifted. Mm -hmm. um, and there was a moment the first night my parents were here where uh, we were walking down the street and someone was walking the other way and they coughed and they didn't cough into their elbow mm. or into their shoulder. <laughs> and so ultimately I know, and it, it was really like this moment, like I, I felt this real surge of anger because my mom was walking next to this person coming the other way. Mm, and I yeah. mean, I really like, I got like hot with anger very immediately and I didn't yeah. express it toward the person. Although I really thought about maybe being like, hello, like, have you literally heard anything about anything that's going yeah. on? Like my mother is walking here. Please don't cough on her. Like this is so, this is literally how this thing is spread. So yeah. maybe consider, but, but at the same time, like, I mean, I know I've involuntarily coughed before and not covered it. Like I've been guilty of that sin too. So it's, but it's, it, yeah, it, it's it's fascinating to me how quickly this, the stakes have shifted and how how rapidly we've all been picking up. I mean, I'd never heard the term social distancing before a week or so ago, mm -hmm. and I'm I'm certainly not a public health expert, and yet I kind of pretended to mm -hmm. be one all week with my parents because I saw my role right. as like <laughs> sufficiently speaking yeah. them yeah. to take it seriously. Yes, you know. I've, have either of you felt that tension with um, friends, like even not like non-parents of like other people not taking it seriously or like, and then also 
I, I've had like, am I crazy feelings have come up a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I, when I can, I'm talking to somebody, I'm like, oh, they definitely think I'm crazy. Like they definitely think I'm overreacting and they're like, it's okay. I'm here for you. I'm like, no, you are not like freaking out enough about like, this. It's not how you can be here for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Just on how, how quickly it's changing. I was talking to, um, re-listening to the podcast we recorded like two days ago and realizing that my a lot of my feelings have already shifted into like a new gear of um, social distancing measures and um, like uh, just severity. And it's, yeah, I just, I'm, I think we're all feeling the acceleration, um, but like responding to it in different ways and we're feeling it in, I have friends in North Carolina as well. And um, I think they're, I'm noticing it accelerating there more and more, but um, it's definitely like on a different, train track um moving at a different pace um yeah and it it seems to me like this experience is partially a a test or an assessment for us of how how deeply we have faith in the idea of of interconnectedness i mean I, i saw a post from a friend from high school last night who's in california who was saying, and, and I understand where this is coming from for her, because I certainly have a similar experience in my own life of, of saying, like, does anyone actually know anyone with this virus yet? Like, and, and her perspective on it in this post was like, I don't trust the media. I don't think we all should be trusting the media on this. Like, this seems like a bunch of catastrophizing for no real reason. And it was interesting to, to sort of participate and see other friends from high school offering other perspectives by saying, Hey, if you're open to reading more, like this article was really persuasive for me, but, but there was a, a, a kernel of something I understood there, which was like, yeah, I mean, there are now confirmed cases at Harvard university. So theoretically I could have come into contact with some of those people, but in point of fact, I have mostly been just seeing across the semester students being sick in a way that I would expect them to be sick at this time of year. And I have not come into, as far as I know, direct physical contact with anyone that has uh, an overwhelming form of respiratory illness. And yet it is incumbent upon me at this moment to trust that that is an actual reality for people and or will become an actual reality for people very soon and that there's something invisible (laughs) that I might be carrying that is contagious that I need to to guard to myself like all of that actually depends on some level on on a question of faith and I haven't really been Mm. in the habit of thinking of it that way and in fact that the word faith is one that I haven't historically felt super comfortable with even though I've been in school for the last three years and so it's been interesting to start phrasing it that way because in my circle it it does look like a matter of faith at this moment it is a it is a it's a non-concrete reality that I am concretely shifting my life around um and that is interesting (laughs) it's a new it's a new experience yeah and it's it's a, a necessary like it's necessary for us as communities to have faith in this <laughs> invisible, like, you know, uh, actor, which it's, yeah, it's just bizarre and feels unprecedented that um, in our lifetime that we're, yeah, as a, as a whole, um, we have to sort of convince each other to <laughs> believe in this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, until you said it, I hadn't really, I hadn't really distinguished that much and I hadn't been thinking in a while about the difference between like faith and hope. Um, and uh, hearing that, like I've posted this at some, one of my many frantic posts this past week of like, um, or in comments of, I remember hearing a Vaclav Havel quote about hope and hope being as an orientation and not like based on like a prognostication of how you think things are going to go, but a, a choice to orient yourself. And um, I'd also been thinking about faith to like, even right before this whole thing kind of went down. Um, faith is a sort of like, I'd been thinking of faith as like an attitude of love that accepts mystery. Um, and mm. 
what's difficult about faith for me right now is like, I don't the the mystery here is not one I'm super down to accept. (laughs) (laughs) It's like an unknown that is so, so frightening because it's not just a, it's like an unknown more on a societal existential level, not just an unknown of how my own little life is going to turn out, you know? Yeah. But I do think it's like, yeah, if, I think I, I also have been averse to faith for like the word faith um, for the past 10 years or so. <laughs> um, one of those like words I grew up with that was supercharged for me um, that when I left Christianity um, had been like, yeah, a kind of toxic or like hot stove word um, for my mind. But it's when I'm, I'm, you know, probably, not coincidentally, um, as I'm getting back into Christianity, um, it's one I'm, I'm, I am trying to like feel my way into like, what does it mean to be a faithful person, but not in a way yeah. that's like ignorant or like, um, just like bliss, you know, whistling yeah. past the graveyard type thing. Yeah. Right. And I mean, I, I feel like one of my personal passions that's developed in divinity school is like religious people don't own the word faith or the mm. concept of faith. Like if, <laughs> if faith is an love attitude that. of love that accepts mystery, like that is kind of like the experience of being human. No, I mean like that mm-hmm. to me, I'm just imagining like being in relationship with people and I have an attitude of love that accepts the mystery of like never fully understanding what it is to be in relationship or how they're going to react to the next thing. Like that actually is a foundational thing that if in my view kind of precedes the religious um, edifices that we house it in. Um, So I just, I'm just wanting to shout shout you out on that because like I, I, I yeah my, my my aversion to that word comes from its presentation in our general societal discourse as a Jew as a not particularly traditionally religious Jew it just has always felt like a word that I didn't get to use um and now I'm like that's that like I want to use the word faith if it means something to me and it is starting to mean something to me but it doesn't mean I don't, I don't think anyone should get to own that word or that concept. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. That's how I'm feeling about that this morning. Love that. Yeah. Um, how, so I want to hear more how you're feeling about, um, your musical beloved King. Um, and like, maybe if you could explain to people what that whole concept was, why it was important to you and now kind of what, how are you feeling uh, about not getting the chance to kind of see it happen in person or maybe or if you're what you're thinking about like future stuff with it yeah will it be rescheduled and yeah what's sort of the, yeah the hope <laughs> for sure i'm i'm happy to share about that so beloved king um is a full-length musical that someone named jade sylvan who's a third year mdiv student at harvard um uh, wrote as their master's thesis they um had it's so funny because they they have such a passion for the Hebrew Bible in a way that I don't. They have <laughs> such a passion for the book of Samuel specifically in a way that I don't. <laughs> and it's been really interesting. Uh, Jade and I kind of knew each other peripherally in the first two years of Div school. And a friend of a mutual friend of ours had mentioned to me last year when I had been kind of asking the universe in a vague way, like, how will I ever get back into theater? I haven't done theater. Like I I was a theater major in college for many, many, many years before college. It was the only thing I thought I ever wanted to do with my life. It was a huge part of my identity. And in the years after college, from a, uh, from a, combination of feeling exhausted and also feeling like I didn't want to test the waters of trying to make it as a theater artist. I just kind of left it behind and div school has been an expensive and convoluted way of realizing that I learned most of what I know doing theater. And so (laughs) in my second year, I really had been asking, how will I, how will I nourish this love again? And my friend Jess mentioned, you know, that Jade wrote a musical for their thesis. And I was like, Oh, I didn't know that. And I sat on it for several months. um, And by the time I finally reached out to them at the end of the summer, I was feeling so 
stupid. I was like, this is ridiculous. Like they've probably, I'm sure like Jade has been making independent art in Boston for years. I'm sure they have their whole team set up already. I'm sure they don't need my help. Like this is dumb, but I, I convinced myself to send a message to them and lo and behold, I mean, immediately they responded and they were like, Oh my God, I really wanted, I I specifically was hoping that there was someone at HDS who would want to direct this because Mm -hmm. I want to collaborate with someone else at the Div school, but I just don't know who at the Div school has a theater background. And so we sat down and um, talked through it and and started collaborating. And, and um, we did a first reading, um, a real table read um, at a UU church in Harvard square in November um, where I read one of the roles. And then we were on track to do the first um, staged reading of it at Oberon, mm. um, which is an an, AR, uh, an American repertory theater owned um, building uh, or mm-hmm. facility theater space, cool. um, event space, which ART is owned by Harvard. Um, so we had been rehearsing since we, we auditioned in January. We were rehearsing all through January, February, beginning of March, Tuesday and Thursday nights. Um, by theater standards, a very light schedule, of just two rehearsals a week. But by grad school standards, a very intense commitment. Mm-hmm. Um, and a couple of weeks, and it, and it was a, a beautiful process. And a couple of weeks before um, the show went up, Jade turned to me one night when we had like gone out to get a drink and they said, I'm really worried. I'm really feeling really anxious that the show is going to get canceled because of coronavirus. And at the time it was unthinkable to me. I was like, that is not going to happen. When was this again? Like how many days ago? (laughs) I might've overstated it by saying a couple of weeks. I think it was probably a week and a half or two weeks before the show was to go up, which was March 12th was when, mm. when we were supposed to have our first performance. So they mm. said, I'm really anxious about this. And my response was just like out of, I mean, I was trying to oh, yeah. it, but, oh. but basically it was dismissing. I was like, no, like that's not going to happen. That's mm. not something we need to worry about. Our job is just to get the show <laughs> done. I'm sure that's not a reality. I'm here and for you, Jade. Whatever you need your voice, you know, <laughs> you, were, you were the one telling her she was probably, or uh, telling them that telling they were, them, yeah. yeah. Uh, that they were, yeah, overreacting. That, that, overreacting, yeah, completely. And and so it really, truly, I mean, I remember that moment now because it was it was laughable to me at the moment that they raised it. And then fast forward, we arrive in in Tech Week, and this is March tenth. Um, so yeah, actually, March tenth was the Tuesday of last week. Uh, it feels like much more time has passed since then, but so. That Tuesday, uh, in the morning, we all got the email that um, classes were canceled or moved online for the rest of the semester. As a tutor, a resident tutor, which is like an RA who lives with undergrads, that email also contained the information that all undergrads were expected to get out by Sunday at 5 p.m. and not return after spring break. Um, and this was also the day that we were in tech. And for people that haven't been in a tech rehearsal, it's a really, really long day where you're just in the theater for like 10 or 11 hours and you just mm-hmm. get all of the lights and sound elements to work. Um, and for actors, it's a particularly strange day because you just have to stand in place for a really long time while everyone works on adjusting all of the technical elements. It's a very like intense rehearsal day. And so I came into rehearsal, I I texted Jade and I texted our stage manager and I was like, yo, I will be there as soon as I can. But like there is true chaos at the undergrad college, like in my house right now, it is bananas. Everyone is crying. Everyone doesn't have any idea what they, what needs to get done in the next couple of days. Mm -hmm. Like I'll get there when I get there. And so then we, we proceeded to spend the next 10 hours in tech doing the show or like getting the show to a technical place where it was ready to be performed on Thursday night. And the whole day we were all kind of in this suspended place of like, well, we haven't been canceled so far, but the guidelines that are coming down from on high from Harvard are 
are getting increasingly like increasingly smaller numbers of people are allowed to congregate yeah. and definitely the number of people that are expected to congregate in this enclosed space on Thursday night is way higher than these recommendations and this space is owned by Harvard <laughs> yeah. so why haven't they canceled this yet and so yeah. the next two days in a time where ideally we would be just focusing on getting our spirits high for doing the show for an audience of people really came into this bizarre back and forth about whether it would happen at all. And ultimately Jade made the really, really wrenching and, and really wise choice to, uh, to postpone. So it was something that they, and and it was interesting because even on Wednesday, which is the day that we ultimately set, decided to postpone, I I still didn't really get it. Like they they were really ahead of the curve on this whole crisis in a way that I I I think they deserve a lot of credit for because they called me that morning and they were like, I think we should postpone, and this is the day before the show is supposed to happen. And my response still on Wednesday was like, I don't know, like if Harvard hasn't canceled on us and the state of Massachusetts <laughs> hasn't declared a state of emergency, like why should we, right. why should we make that choice? Like we should, well, let's just let it happen from right. above. And that, I mean, that was coming from a variety of places, but one of the, one of the places was oh, a selfish yeah. place of like, we just did all this fucking work. Like, why would we, why would oh, we yeah. be short circuited if it's not being short circuited for us? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they kind of in that conversation were like, okay, you're right. You're right. You're right. And then later in the day called me and they're like, you know, no, like that's actually not what needs to happen. We, we yeah. meaning they and the staff at Oberon came to a mutual decision that the right thing to do, not the thing that felt good to do, not the thing that felt like it most honored all the work that whatever, like none of that. They're like the right thing to do is to cancel this event. We cannot have all of these people mm-hmm. in a contained mm-hmm. space together, ordering things from the bar, sitting at tables. To, like we yeah. just, we can't do it. And that sucked. Yeah. And it was the right thing to do. And yeah. I'm super proud of them for figuring out how to I can't imagine if that had been my baby in the way that it is their baby, I'm the director. So for me, you know, it's frustrating. It's whatever, but like for them, it's their, they wrote it. They spent the last Mm. couple of years writing a two act fucking music. Like that is a lot of work. And we will do in answer to your question, which you asked 10 minutes ago, we will do it. we're, We're hoping to remount it as soon as this crisis abates but um but for now it's not happening and and it it's it's devastating on some level um yeah yeah. so that's that is the situation with with the show it's um it's been a trip it was a really really chaotic roller coastery kind of week wow and it was totally sold out right i mean it would have it was yeah 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 yeah, it's amazing. So we, 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 we sold out the first performance six weeks before the show, um, which then inspired Oberon to give us a second night. And, and that for them, I mean, I, you know, they, I don't know if, if y'all know them, but they're another great person to talk to about yeah. all of this, obviously. So I won't, yeah. I won't speak too much for them, but I will say that one thing that I think was really moving to them was I don't think they were, I don't think they knew that people were as down for a queer Bible musical. Oh, cause that, I didn't mention that. So let me just really quickly <laughs> give the gloss of the story. So in the book of Samuel, uh, David, as in King David, as in star of David, like, you know, big, big, important dude, but big, important dude who like, I don't know that much. I didn't know that much about because I don't remember learning that much about him in uh, Hebrew school, but King David, big, important dude. He is depicted in the book of Samuel as having this very close relationship with Prince Jonathan. And there's Mm. all of this language about like David and Jonathan were like, their souls were wrapped up in each other and they like loved Mm -hmm. each other as Mm. close to you know, as close to one another, like, I can't remember all the language, but I mean, like, really intense, like, basically <laughs> matrimonial language. And generations of conservative readers have said, like, oh, they're just 
They're just oh yeah. Just That's how I was taught growing up. It was <laughs> uh, you know they're partners in crime, but that was it. <laughs> you know, buddies right. and mischief and <laughs> and all that. Right. right, and I think that on the other hand, generations of of queer people or people that we would now categorize under that umbrella of queer have read that story and been like, they're obviously. Lovers. Like it's yeah. like that. Like they're gay. Like it's not that complicated. Yeah. And so they, you know, Jade's Jade's kind of catchphrase for this whole show was it's in the book. It's in the book. It's in the book. Because whenever <laughs> there would be something on stage that felt unbelievable to people that have been raised within a certain milieu of like biblical uh-huh. life. They were yeah. like, it's in the book. Like, go read it. <laughs> awesome. Sorry. They the book. You don't have to believe me. The book. They have this whole covenant ceremony that basically is a merit. Like, just go read it. It's in the book. And they, I, I think they were hoping, but weren't certain that as many people would get that excited to be like, yes, I want that. I mm-hmm. want a new way of encountering this book which has been so important to so many so deeply molly i'm thinking of our class i was very impressed that you yes. brought in paul recur to the uh conversation yesterday that was really that was really wild molly it's in here there's no getting out of recur that was very that was that was I, an a plus moment having having not read recur myself i just nod and like yep sound yeah I, mean, I, I, I don't know that you need to read that <laughs> really fucking dense for no reason but anyway no reason. Yeah. um you know just this book that has meant so much it has structured all of our lives and yeah for queer people, myself included, there is a sense of like, I've had, I've had a sense over much of my life of like, oh, that book doesn't, or or, or since I've come out and since I've really come into queerness, it's like that book doesn't belong to me. Or like, I can't, I don't even know how to begin approaching that book because it has been twisted around on me. And in fact, when I will say that when, when I was in the Hebrew Bible class last semester and we got to Leviticus, I like, I got real tense. Cause I was like, Oh shit, here we fucking go. Like I'm going to have to, and sorry, I've been swearing a lot on this no, fine. conversation, no, but, um, <laughs> but I was like, here we go. Like I know Leviticus 18, I think it is like, I was like, I was like, I like girded myself to read, you know, a man shall not lie with another man. And when I actually read it in context, I was like, wow, this is a really, truly tiny piece of a huge book of laws within five books that also contain a lot of other laws. And like, it really doesn't matter. Like on a, on a deep level, this is a really insignificant detail in this Mm -hmm. whole story. And it was empowering to like have that experience. And so similarly, just to get, I mean, similarly, but incredibly differently to actually show what to a lot of gay readers or queer readers is obviously a love story that actually Mm -hmm. is in that book. It's in the book. Um, (laughs) It's a great gift. And I can't wait for people to get to see it um, when we get a chance to do it in public. I'm I'm really glad you get to to do it too. Um, Like eventually Um, what, one thing that as you're talking, I was thinking about like how the, like books that have been inaccessible or, or whatnot. I, it's been a minute since I've done Hebrew Bible, um, but I mean, I guess I'm still in Enter the New Testament. <laughs> I guess that's still happening. Um, and um, we were just really struggling over a lot of, there's a lot of passages um, in the various, um, especially in the, the various epistles, the letters um, section of the New Testament that are, you know, very, um, not not only anti-queer, anti-women, um, misogynistic was, was some of the ones we were looking at um, and fine with slavery, things like that. Um, but one thing I was, when I try to like, when I try to find something that I can either be inspired by in the text or behind the text, I, I think I almost, it, I, it was struck to me that there was a way that I could kind of try to look at the community behind the text. And so like, there's this, there's this passage in first Peter three, that is like, you know, women, you need to obey your husband. Like it's, you know, pretty, whatever. Um, and right. (laughs) Classic advice. Um, (laughs) but what, so what, what I was, what struck me though, is that that wouldn't need to be written unless there were 
feminist Christians who are kind of like, I don't need to obey my husband. Like this is, yeah, I got, you know, there's something about the Christian message that struck them as egalitarian. And so peering at the community behind the book, maybe it's not the book per se that I'm getting inspiration out of it in this connect, but it's a way for me to connect with early Christians. And, and even though it, I'm not saying that like, Oh yeah, they were all feminists from <laughs> the beginning. There's still some elements and some strands of that, um, that I do find inspiring when I, when I read it and these sort of more, I don't know if that's a more subversive reading or just a, a different way to look at it, but I love totally. That. What were you going to say, Molly? No, I, I mean, yeah, I don't really have anything to add. I was going to say, I love it's in the book because isn't that kind of the way that a lot of like um, biblical literalists and like um, homophobic people yeah. have used. Yeah. So I just love turning that uh, on yeah. itself and being like, it's here. <laughs> it's all here. <laughs> you don't take my totally. word for it. Yeah. <laughs> Totally. And, and yeah, it's funny you mentioned that Joe, because I, that is something I had been thinking about a lot last year actually was that the, the, the prohibition, the existence of the prohibition is evidence of the existence of what, what right. needs to mm. be prohibited. And mm-hmm. that I had not been, I think, I think again, to return very briefly to Leviticus, I, I am not a biblical scholar in the sense of like, you know, there are people that have written these great, very detailed, very technical analyses of why what it says in Leviticus doesn't really mean what we think it means. And it actually <laughs> refers to this and that social norm of the era, whatever. I respect mm-hmm. that particular form of querying the text and, and figuring mm-hmm. out how to re, ex, re-articulate it. Um, but that's not work that I know how to do nor have interest in doing what i do know how to do is to say yo the fact that in leviticus it says that men should not lie with other men means that men were lying with other men like (laughs) hello like that's that's (laughs) exactly we were always satisfying that need to be real like that is part of what that indicates and that that is powerful to me on a on a deep level it's really beautiful and that's like helpful for me to like yeah, to find connection with ancestors and lineage and like mm-hmm. that and and putting more faith in sort of the community um, than necessarily a particular, I mean, because a book is, all the parts of a book are just snapshots of how particular people were thinking at particular Correct. times and are advocating yeah. for it. So, um, cool. <laughs> Glad <laughs> yeah. we got into biblical interpretation me too so <laughs> yes. exciting. this is it actually does feel good to talk about something more like theological i've not yeah. been in that mindset for the past week really um, i think i think like you when you were talking about probably just what seven days ago i think based on the timeline of like when you were like i don't why do we need to cancel or like like it was after and I remember feeling that like after the university said okay we all need to like go home we're not gonna have this is our last week of classes I was still had a couple days of like this seems extreme this is too big like I don't need like there's ways I can like we can sort of get like oh maybe we'll just do this or that or the other but my thinking has changed so drastically from day to day and then then (laughs) ask me two days later and I'm like I can't think about I can't think about like what's the difference in Paul's letters from one to the other? Like that is not <laughs> like work yeah. for me. Yeah. yeah. But so it feels actually good for me thinking theologically again. Yeah. I mean, j- just thinking about like how, what it's been like to come around to trusting the, the messaging that's happening. Like, I feel like you, we, I don't trust our government at all, obviously. Um, and um, <laughs> just having like, built up this distrust of institutions and um, authorities and power. And suddenly we're in in this situation where like collective action and like, um, like top down decisions are really important. It's like, it feels hard. Yeah. I was not on board (laughs) um, until very recently as well. So relate to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was wondering Ben, if you could also, Tell us a little bit about what it was like with the students um, that you, you mm. work with or that you yeah. have lived with, um, just that whole process of um, getting them out <laughs> and help, helping yeah. them navigate that. Because 
that's really crazy. yeah what they were like <laughs> yeah it's um it's been intense i mean so as recently as i guess now two weeks ago um the recommendation had been cancel all of your spring break trips and stay here that was that was like the wisdom as of march what would it have been march 5th i think um yeah. the end of that that first week of march um so people were doing that they were dutifully canceling all their trips probably at expense to themselves and or parents if they're in that kind of financial situation still because I think at that time it wasn't fully supported by airlines in the way that they're now you know bending the rules um so that was the recommendation everyone's planning to stay here and then on Tuesday the 10th suddenly it comes comes down that actually everyone needs to leave that's that is the imperative and you know only if you are coming only if you um if home is in a, a country that's at level three on the CDC um, ranking of, of risk for this virus um, or, or ranking of like actual severity um, intensity. Um, only if it's that, or if there are particular circumstances that make home a really unstable or unsafe place to be, um, then you can petition to stay. Um, that all needs to go through the Dean um, and then be decided like so for most people that email on Tuesday was the end of the semester like it, it was like you have to go you have to get out you mm -hmm. have to figure out how to do it you need to figure out where you're going to store things how you're going to store things who's paying good luck and <laughs> good luck basically and I and and one thing that I have heard um through the grapevine is that the Office of Financial Aid was alerted at the same time that everyone else was. Um, I don't know for sure that that is true, but that has been what I've heard from several students that tried to get in contact with financial aid to be like, how do I pay for it? And financial aid was like, we actually don't know yet because we're just processing this information too. And it's been interesting in the past week to figure out like what is my job actually because being a resident tutor um that's harvard's like i said fancy word basically for being an ra um it's a little bit less classic ra in the sense that my job is not really to enforce rules most of the time so much as to support a communal living experience for people that um helps them make sense of their time at Harvard and, 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 and helps them feel connected um, in a deep way. It's a very fluid, very, very concrete job in the sense that we sit down and have dinner with students all the time. And that is like the bulk of what we do actually is to mm -hmm. sit down and have meals. Um, but very not concrete in the sense that like, there's no real metrics for how I know that I'm doing my job well or not, other than perfect. <laughs> it's, it's great. It's an amazing Works job. Right. Um, I love it. I love the house that I live in. I love the faculty deans here. Um, I love the student. Like, it's an amazing job. It has made grad school much more affordable. It has made grad school much sweeter um, and friendlier. And, and it's, it's been a great experience. So I love being a tutor. Um, and sometimes it is hard for me to tell if I'm doing my job um, because yeah. it's very fluid. But this week, it, 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 that really, all of that kind of got recalibrated and, and the balance was really upset because on Tuesday, as I was supposedly going to tech rehearsal, um, it was immediate spiritual care needs just kind of popping up all mm -hmm. over the landscape because, I mean, really in the dining hall, people just weeping, people completely panicking about what to do. And it became much more, um, we might've talked about this the other day, actually in religion and ecology. I don't yeah. remember if this was part of the conversation, but the, that more sort of self-actualizing work that I generally think of my role as supporting was completely displaced in favor of logistical 
mm-hmm. needs and technical solutions to big problems that really needed to occur very quickly. Yeah. And I had to learn or remember that, you know, I, like many people, I, I, I go quickly into fix it mode when I'm, when I'm not paying attention to what I'm doing. And so I learned in the early days of trying to support students that when I asked like, what, like, what can I do to fix this? Or like basically ask that question (laughs) in not so many words, quite often the thing that I encountered was something that I was like, Oh, I'm not even remotely equipped on any level to actually (laughs) fix anything. Like I, I just called up a whole slew of things that I have Mm -hmm. no possible way of fixing. And so that actually is not, my job in this moment. My job is on the one hand, like to absorb all of the very fair, excuse me, to absorb all the very fair criticism coming Harvard's way from students that really felt like their needs were not being taken care of when, you know, when that conversation would emerge, I got to say, look, I'm, I'm a representative of the university. um, So like, give, give me all of the frustration, like vent it my way. I am happy to hold it. That's part of what I get to do as someone who represents the college. And I'm happy to forward that information along up the chain to someone who has more authority to do something about it where appropriate. But also if you just want to vent to me, like, please give it to me because it's probably Mm -hmm. really overwhelming to be carrying all of that around while you're also trying to process, especially if you're a senior, this effectively being the end of your senior year, like a lot of emotional need that was getting very complicated with Mm -hmm. all of this, uh, this understandable anger toward the university. Um, Mm -hmm. And then also just, learning like what this one experience last week that felt really hopeful to me and felt like actually a really concrete marker of like work being done was I, I am the, the mentor to the theater board, the undergrad theater board at our house that does a spring musical every year. And so when we got this email on Tuesday, I texted them all and I was like, Hey, um, it's super huge bummer that we can't, do our show like we have we also had a musical that was supposed to go up next month that we have to cancel super huge bummer like i i just want to hold and honor all of the grief of not being able to do that and and to figure out while we're all here for the next couple of days if there's something that we can do or that you would like to do that would feel like closure um and one of the directors articulated that they would really like to do a reading of the show And at this point earlier in the week, this was probably Tuesday or Wednesday of last week, I was still in a fairly cavalier place about it where I said like, hey, yep, definitely like want to support that. Technically not really supposed to happen to have a reading. So like, please limit the guest list to a couple of close friends and practice extra precautions, but like definitely want to support that. And then the next day, um, they sent out a um, an email to like the whole house listserv that said like, hey, we're doing this reading on Friday. Like, it'd be so crazy if everyone just showed up in the mm-hmm. theater at that time. And it was this fascinating moment for me of like, I tend, I think in my my general life, I am very susceptible to the idea that like, if I were living in such and such a kind of crisis, I'm sure I would do such and such a thing, or I'm sure I would be acting in such and such a way. That's like a a common mind trap that I get into. And so (laughs) as this was playing out in real time, I really had to figure out how to interrupt that thought pattern and say like, by all accounts, like the crisis is happening right now. There is no moment other than this. Right. Now, you know, try to make an intervention and like try to have something else happen. And so I, I got, you know, I reached out again and, and, and had to take a much sterner approach and also own my own cavalier attitude from earlier in the week. I was like, Hey, like earlier as things were developing day by day and like entirely new, domains of thought about all of this were emerging in my own head as with everyone else. I was like earlier in the week, I wasn't really 
as clear as I should have been. This is a, a crisis. It's an emergency. And all of the things that we know suggest that the more people gather at one time, the more the virus gets transmitted. Like we really need to figure out how to walk this back. Um, mm-hmm. I want to support y'all in doing that. I want to support y'all in doing it collaboratively. I don't want to, I am learning a kind of authority over you and saying you need to walk this back, but I don't want to like tell you what you need to do in order to walk it back. I want us to figure that out together. Um, and then to see them take that feedback and say like, yeah, you're right. Like we didn't, we didn't think about that before we sent the email. We're now thinking about it differently and we agree that we need to shift it. And ultimately what they chose to do was to do a reading with the couple of people from the cast that were still there, which probably was still a few too many people in the theater, but much less than if everyone had come to the theater and they live streamed it instead of having it happen for a live audience. And that was just one concrete hopeful moment of realizing like, Hey, I have, you know, I've built relationships with these people over time that have allowed me to respectfully, but firmly communicate some feedback that a choice we've collectively allowed ourselves to make is not okay. And we need to really shift it. And then to see them own up to that, um, all of us collectively, again, I needed to own up to my part of it, all of us own up to it and figure out how to shift that felt like a moment mm-hmm. where I could see that I had done my job. Well, wow. <laughs> yeah, nice. it sounds like a very pastoral uh, kind of clergy training, like and <laughs> real th- and thrown in the fire. Um, I think yeah. we're getting close to, I guess, wrapping up now. Yeah. Um, we were going to do this at the beginning of the episode and we forgot. What's like a, what's an informational, like what's a good resource what are some things we can have either a resource or like maybe something you saw this week that what's the latest what what any sort of psas that we want to um like me news you want to blast any like yeah yeah, like hey donate to this thing or hey this this thing really needs help or um anything Uh, like that anything come to mind uh one thing that i'm i'm learning about and I'm I'm just at the very beginning of my knowledge about this so I'll just kind of put the name out there is is the concept of mutual aid yeah. um specifically for people that are likely to be without um work and without compensation for the next indefinite period of time so people that are working um as performing artists people that are working in restaurants um and other in other wage-based, not salary-based jobs in industries that are heavily impacted um, by closures. Um, uh, Figuring out how to redistribute financial resources from people that have more financial stability to help people cover rent um, and cover their needs for food. Um, So that general concept of mutual aid is coming into my vocabulary. Um, And there is a resource that I just looked at yesterday that has a lot of um, mutual aid um, organizations from different parts of the country that you can contribute to. And I don't have it on me right now, but I can find it and forward it to you because that's that's something that I'm going to try to use some of my my financial resources to support. Yeah, we can put that in the link. Little notes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you, Ben. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. This has been a really sweet beginning to my day and, and a real, um, a real gift to get to experiment with y'all. Um, I, I feel very, very blessed and very, um, pleased to be using my morning in this way. Uh, Me too. And, um, you know, as this project develops for us, we're wanting to make it like a collaborative platform for HDS people to be kind of like sharing whatever they want to share right now. So if there, you know, anything comes to mind that you would um, want to do, we can talk more about that in the future. Yeah. If there's anything that you're thinking of or any other HDS students that might be listening as far as like, Oh, I've always wanted to do this kind of podcast or I've always wanted to do, you know, I've wanted to do like, um, I don't know. I don't, yeah. I don't know. A music what hour. Like um, I know you have an amazing voice, so sharing music or however um, you're wanting to connect these days we're yeah. trying to make this like a platform where we're all like able to sort of put, you know, whatever our, our things are that we our spiritual gifts. Um, if we want to use that 
that phrase. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I, I'll sure. I'll just briefly say just, that I I I really admire you for um, creating this platform and for trying it in real time. And in my three years, HTS has not mostly felt like a place where I actually um, enjoyed experimenting, um, unfortunately. <laughs> and so I I'm feeling as as a as a wizened old um, third year MDiv <laughs> student, I'm feeling really uplifted by the energy that y'all are bringing into this project awesome. and the, oh, the, the courageousness of just trying it out and, and allowing it to emerge. Um, so I just want to send you my <laughs> my love and compassion and gratitude for y'all tending this project in real time because I think that's really the only way that it happens. Thanks, man. We'll, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I appreciate you. Um, take care out there, okay? Yeah, you too. Be well, y'all. Stay safe. Bye. You too. <laughs> Bye.